Today I am starting the series of sermons on the Holy Spirit. I got about two and a half months worth of Holy Spirit for you, and uh, we're going to have a good time. Uh, we're starting today in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 20 and 25 through 29, the Gospel of John. And so starting there, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Then verse 25. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. The church in North America is in trouble in every way. And that's because, to make it kind of just straightforward, we do all kinds of stuff and all kinds of things as a substitute instead of depending on the Holy Spirit. According to Gallup polls, 79.5% of Americans say they are Christian. I'll round it up to 80. But out of that 80%, most of the people of that 80% rarely, never or rarely attend church. They do not trust, the majority do not trust or claim to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. They do not value God's word as the rule for faith and how to live. When people say they are Christian, often what they mean is they're sympathetic to Christ and some of his teachings, but they have not given their lives over to him, nor do they live by his values. They don't, under, they don't understand that just because you admire Jesus from a distance doesn't mean you've been saved by Jesus. Just because you like him in some vague way doesn't mean you have a relationship. Many Christians are dominated by non-Christian thinking and values. The researcher said that the real percentage of Christians in this country who we consider historic, orthodox, Bible-believing, Christian lifestyle Christians is not 80%, it's between 7 and 8%. 40%, percent of the Christians in this country say, quote, life has not changed at all as a result of going to church. Half the people going to church said church makes no difference at all. A third of the people who say they are Christians in North America, say they have never felt the presence of God in a church service. One out of three Christians, ever. So how does a dying North American church try to remedy this? I'll tell you how we do it. We think up strategies and formulas to get people to come back to church based on marketing, not on Jesus or His Spirit. We create, create seeker-friendly churches who water down the gospel so people won't be offended by the gospel. But then what's the point? Or we do the entertainment model of church. This church model 
makes church basically a performance. When you go to an entertaining church, they have great music, great sermons, great lighting, great programming, great facilities. One couple told me they went to one of these churches, and at the start of the worship service, they turned down the lights in the sanctuary. It was as if the body of Christ was unnecessary for what was about to take place. The message, the, the unspoken message was that it doesn't matter if you can see other believers. It doesn't matter if you interact with other believers. Only what was happening on the stage mattered. The definition of worship, like they turned worship into passively watching as you're enthralled by the music and the speaker. This couple told me that, that at one of this church's worship services, they not only turned down the lights, they handed out boxes of popcorn, just like watching a movie in the theater. There is a difference between worshiping God and being entertained, don't you think? There, you know, Jesus didn't come to entertain us, but to call us. He didn't come to amuse us, but transform us. And if that thinned out the crowd sometimes, so be it. Sometimes Jesus preached sermons that emptied the house. That's not very seeker-friendly. In the last 20 years, there have been more conferences and more books written on church growth than on all of the history before it. Yet there is a precipitous decline in every measurable statistic of what it really means to be a Christian or a healthy church. It's like we are now in it for growth, for nothing but the sake of growth. But the question for the church is not if we're growing, but growing into what? Let, let me remind you, growth in, your, in the human body simply for the sake of growth is called cancer. The measurements by Barna and others are irrefutable. What we are doing is not working in this country for the great majority of churches. Pe people and pastors desperate to stem the tide of church decline are using models and formulas that are not producing spiritual fruit. And do you know why? Because only the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We're finding out that's really true. We have drifted away from God's way. We no longer depend on the Holy Spirit and His Word. We depend on our flesh, our ingenuity, our programs, our strategies. The churches in America chase one fad after another. One, what's the newest thing? The church needs to quit reinventing the church and rediscover how Christ designed His church to work. We need to quit depending on clever marketing and start desperately praying. We need to quit depending on flesh and seeking life in the Spirit because more and more churches are depending less and less on the one Jesus said he was sending, the advocate, the helper, the Spirit of truth. Whether we like it or not, we need God. We need to quit trying to build his church with our ideas in our own strength. History has showed us over and over again that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are the real fuel of the church. Only God can save us. The church was born on the day of Pentecost in the flames of the Spirit. The early church did not have buildings. They did not have hymn books. They did not have musical instruments. They did not have sound systems. They didn't even have Bibles. The first 30 years of the church, it was all oral tradition. The truth was passed from person to person. Not in a book. But I'll tell you what they did have. They, what they had was the Spirit, His life, His power, His presence operating in the midst of them. 
I'm here to tell you that Christianity does not stop at the cross, even though the cross paid for our sins. Christianity doesn't stop there. I'm here to tell you it doesn't stop with the resurrection, even though it saves us and gets us to heaven. I am here to tell you that just because you're forgiven, you haven't got all God wants for you. Jesus has more for us than that. In today's text, Jesus tells us that not only he came to save us, but be in us. Jesus said he would send a helper, an advocate. He would send a person co-equal with he and the Father. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. It's a person. A person who thought just like Jesus. A person who would come and teach us about Jesus. A person who would pour God's life into us. A person who would make Jesus real to us. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, called the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus said he was sending someone to guide us, gift us, transform us. He has come to make Christ a living reality in our hearts. The Spirit, Jesus taught, would, be, would take us beyond concepts, beyond being just forgiven by Jesus and saved by Jesus. The Spirit would pour Jesus into us. In talking about the Spirit, Jesus said, I will come to you. He will come to you. I will come to you. Jesus promised his spirit to everyone who follows him without exception. When we give our hearts to Jesus, let me make this as clear as I can make it. When we give our hearts to Jesus, the spirit comes in. Always. We are baptized, as Paul says in his writings. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Baptism, you see, is a sign of initiation, when Paul says you are baptized by the Spirit at salvation, he means you are initiated into the life of the Spirit by the Spirit. We become inhabited by him. At salvation, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. Please hear this. You don't get Jesus without the Spirit. They are a package deal. Like he says here, let me read this in, in verse 17 and 18. He says, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Did you hear this? He says, he will come with you. He will be in you. Then he turns right around and says, I am coming to live in you. I will not leave you as orphans. The mission of the Spirit and Jesus are wedded together. You don't get one without the other. They are a package deal. All believers are baptized into the Spirit by the Spirit. Now, not all believers are spirit-filled. Not all believers walk in the Spirit. Not all believers live in the Spirit. In fact, a lot of believers quench the Spirit and do other stuff. But that's another sermon. But all believers are baptized into Him. Paul says no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. Every believer, every true believer of Jesus Christ has a Spirit in them. But many people are ignorant of this. Charles Stanley, the famous TV preacher from Atlanta, you know who I'm talking about? He grew up in a Pentecostal hole in his church. I, by the way, before I came to the Brethren Christ for seven years, I was licensed and ordained as a Pentecostal hole in his preacher. And Calvin Miller, you know, the great writer, the great Christian writer, he came from the Pentecostal hole in his church. So three great spiritual giants came out <laughs> of the Pentecostal hole in his church. And Char he, he said that for years. It's not that funny. Anyway, <laughs> for years, sincere people asked him, 
when he grew up in that church if he had the Holy Spirit, if he had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Because I know the formula. The formula was, now you're saved. Now your sins are forgiven. Now you can go to heaven. Now, after you're saved, you need the Holy Spirit can you, so you can live a victorious Christian life and have spiritual power. Stanley assumed that until he spoke in tongues, the Spirit had not come to him or in him. So he begged and begged and pleaded and pleaded and prayed and prayed, but he felt continually defeated. One day, Stanley, frustrated, prayed, Lord, I believe it's your will for me to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't, you know, it's like, kind of like, I don't know where your spirit is, but I, want, I know you want me to live in that. So the next day, he taught a men's Bible study as a young pastor. And all through the lesson, Stanley prayed, Lord, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Fill me for the work you've called me to do. He said, for the first time in his ministry, he taught with authority and boldness. He said, I felt this passion in me, this energy in me, and this confidence. There were power. Lives were changed. And so, you know, and he thought about this. And he, he said, what? Why had he missed the power of the Spirit in his life up to that point? And he came up with this conclusion. And I agree with it. He came to realize he had missed how working with the Spirit and living in the Spirit because he was looking externally for what he already had in his heart. He was trying to get what had already been given. See, you miss it here if you're looking out here. So that day, he connected to the Spirit's power already within him, but he was ignorant of it. And I loved what he said later. Here's what he said. He said, the good, this is the good news. We are no longer waiting for the Holy Spirit. He is waiting for us. You have all of him you're ever going to get. The question is, how much of you does he have? That's the question. The Holy Spirit is in you and working this very minute if you're a true believer. And so many of us are not even aware of it. We often miss what he's doing because we don't know he showed up and active and we're ignorant of how he works. When Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, it must have astounded his, his disciples in this passage. He said, if you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. Jesus had been their rabbi. And you have to understand how rabbis and their disciples worked 2,000 years ago. The rabbi became your life. You walked with him. You lived with him. You listened to him. You did what he said without question. When, you t when somebody became your rabbi, it was like you know, going to boot camp in the army. They had you. And so... You know, he said they saw him heal and deliver and walk on water. And they saw him do things they had never seen before. They saw him teach and listen to him say things with authority that no one had ever heard before. He was their best friend. They laughed together. They cried together. They prayed together. They worked together. They came to the unmistakable realization that he was the Messiah of God. Why, when he said he was going back to the Father and leaving them and leaving this world, should they be glad? Jesus told them, had told them earlier. He said, when he went to be the, with the Father, he would be in them, not just with them. Jesus was, was saying that he, through his Spirit, could do more for them from the inside out than from the outside in. 
He was saying the spirit operating from the inside was better and more effective than Jesus in the body of a human being. You see, it's easier to reach someone's heart and change it when you're already in there. (laughs) It's easier to reveal things when it's an inside job. Jesus said, be glad when I leave. The spirit working inside of you can do more than me working from out here. Me and you is better than me with you in the flesh. That's why Jesus said in another place, it is to your advantage that I go away. Take Peter, for example. Even after walking and listening and working with Jesus for three years, Peter, after three years with Jesus, still denied him, still was a coward, still missed the main point most of the time, was always putting his foot in his mouth. But after the Spirit came into him, look at the difference. The coward stood in front of a quarter of a million people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and he preached right in front of the very people who had crucified Jesus six weeks earlier, who he ran from. And with boldness, he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah and that a lot of people in that crowd had crucified their own Messiah. But Jesus was the Messiah nevertheless because God raised him up. God resurrected him. He stood behind, beside the right hand of God and no one can be saved other than by calling on the name of Jesus. And that day 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Do you see a little difference here? The Spirit of Christ working from the inside can do more than any earthly thing working from the outside. Even Jesus. And those are my, not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to following Jesus, I've got news. Sincerity is not enough. Mere knowledge, even biblical knowledge, correct theological knowledge is not enough. Trying hard is not enough. Only the Spirit can change us. Only the Spirit can give us the power to surpass our own limited abilities. Only the Spirit can do what needs to be done with us and in us and through us. John Killinger, a Christian writer, put it this way, and I like it, which is why I'm going to use it. (laughs) He said, imagine you buy a new car. Let's say a Lamborghini. I'll take that one. It's the most beautiful and expensive car you've ever had. The very sight of it takes your breath away. It's got that new car smell. Oh, The feel of the wheel in your hands is luxurious and exciting. Driving this car is the most indescribably wonderful experience you've ever had on the road. It's simply outstanding. And now imagine this. As you drive everywhere in this Lamborghini, you never take it out of first gear. Around the block, down to the grocery, out to the mall, to the open highway. Wherever you drive, you keep the car in first gear. It goes about 25 miles an hour. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? To keep a magnificent vehicle like this always in its lowest, slowest gear and not slip it into second or third or fourth or fifth gear to see how it runs when it's opened up with all that horsepower under the hood? Nobody buys a great car and drives it everywhere in first gear. Yet, this is what the Christian life is like when it is never turned over to the Spirit of God, when it is never surrendered to the Holy Spirit's power and influence for daily living. It is just like buying a Lamborghini and never going more than 25 miles an hour. My brothers and sisters, that's a sin. (laughs) 
Christ calls us to see what's under the hood. We're called to let the, the, to let the Spirit lead, live through us. We're called to take what Jesus gives us, gives us, put it in fifth gear, and hit the gas. Because if I have a Lamborghini, I promise you I'm not going 25 miles an hour with it. Those things were meant to go 150 miles an hour. His will be done. The alternative, if we ignore the Holy Spirit, if we do not live life in the Spirit, is that we will live defeated lives. We will fail over and over and over. And you know what happens when we keep failing? We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. And you know what we usually do? I can tell you what we usually do. We promise to do better next time. Oh, we'll do better. We'll try harder, Jesus. And guess what happens? We fail again. And we feel even worse. And after enough of this, repeated, defeated living, we become discouraged. And if you stay discouraged long enough, you become cynical. You start going, there's nothing to this. There's, there's nothing to this business called Christianity. If you keep getting beat up after a while, you just walk away. Now, please hear me. I am not promising perfection. None of us will ever be perfect. We will always live by grace. We will always be saved by grace. But part of God's grace and provision for us is the power to change. The power to rise beyond, above who we are and what we've done. He has given us the Spirit to take us to a whole new level of living. Now I know what I'm preaching, and will be preaching on, is making some of you nervous. One of the sad things in North America is that outside of Pentecostal churches, there's often a prejudice against churches talking about the Holy Spirit and opening up to the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, what are you up to? Look at the abuses, people say. Look at the people who said God told them this and God told them that and, it, and, and they were full of hooey. God does get blamed for all kinds of stuff, doesn't he? And then look at all the out-of-control emotionalism. And look at the bad teaching some charismatics have championed. And look at the false faith healers on TV. Yes, there have been abuses. Yes, there have been false things taught. Yes, there have been counterfeits. But abuses and counterfeits do not and cannot mean that the church runs away from God and His Spirit. Can you imagine that? The church running from God and His power? What's wrong with that picture? We can't be afraid of our Savior. We can't be afraid of the one sent to help us. If I told you I was going to give you a million dollars in cash, would you reject it because there are some counterfeiters out there? Or would you just take the chance that most of that million dollars is good stuff? If I told you I was going to give you a Rembrandt painting worth $10 million, would you reject it because you're not an art expert? I don't know a Rembrandt from a, I don't, finger painting. But the point is... If it's worth $10 million, I'm going to take it. Just because there have been abuses doesn't mean we throw out the baby with the bathwater. 
Just because there has at times been errors in teaching doesn't mean we have been given permission to ignore the Holy Spirit. Just because things have been done in the flesh and blamed on the Spirit doesn't mean we give up seeking the movement of the Spirit moving among us. I have found a story by Eric Metaxas. And he demonstrates how badly we need the Spirit, that there are certain things only the Spirit can do. He said he has a friend named Frederica Mathis Green. She's a great writer. Maybe some of you have read some of her books. Frederica was raised in a nominally Christian home, but she rejected her parents' faith in her early teens, which is an all-too-familiar story these days. She decided to expand her mind, though, and so she chose Hinduism as the faith that she would submit herself to. After this, you know, she uh, decided, you know, to get married. But before she got married, she said, I considered Christianity infantile and inadequate. I found it embarrassing, childish. She said, she said I thought... You know, that my, you know, it, you need something more sophisticated than Christianity. Not many years after her graduation, she met and married her husband, Gary, who was a charmingly typical hippie. And they had a hippie wedding in the woods with Frederica wearing tie dyed shirts and flowers in her hair and in her sandals. Some of you, this may bring, bring back memories. <laughs> Crazy hippies. <laughs> After their wedding, she and Gary took off for Europe. And one of the first places they went was Dublin, Ireland. They found a cheap hotel, and later that afternoon, they decided to take a walk and see some sights. They were in what seemed like a business district when they stumbled upon a church and decided to take a look inside. Frederica separated from Gary and admired the stained glass windows and the stonework in the dimly lit building. They were doing their artsy thing. Eventually, she says, I came upon a small side altar. Above it was a white marble statue of Jesus with his arms held low and open, and his heart was exposed in his chest, twined with thorns and springing with flames at the same time. Frederica explained that the statue de depicted a vision that a French nun had witnessed in 1675. The nun heard Jesus say in that vision, Behold the heart which has so loved mankind. Frederica will never be able to explain exactly what happened next. But suddenly this young woman, so hostile to Christianity, so disdainful of it, found herself on her knees in front of of the statue. And she said, I could hear an interior voice speaking to me. Not with my ears. It was more like a radio inside my head suddenly clicked on. And the voice was both intimate and authoritative. And it filled me. Gee, who does that sound like? And here's what the voice said to her. I am your life. You think that your life is your name, your personality, your history. But that is not your life. I am your life. 
You think that your life is the fact that you're alive, that your breath goes in and out, that you have energy in your body. But even that is not your life. I am your life. I am the foundation of everything else in your life. After this experience, Frederica stood up shaking. She said it was like quietly sitting in your living room and suddenly something blows the roof off of it. She said, I didn't ha have any doubt who the I was that was speaking to me. And she said, to be honest, it wasn't someone I was eager to get to know. And someone had asked me a half hour earlier, she said, before this experience, she, was, she would have said, I'm not even sure Jesus even ever lived. Yet here he was. And though I didn't know him, he already knew me. From the deepest inside out, he knew me. She said, I kept quiet about this for a week trying to figure it out. I didn't even tell my husband Gary, though he must have wondered why my eyebrows kept hovering near my hairline for a week. You know, <sighs> Frederica says that this wasn't the kind of woo-woo spiritual experiences, you know, where everything gets misty and then the next day you wonder if it really happened. She said it was shockingly real. As if I had encountered a dimension of reality I'd never known existed before. She said, in that explosive moment, I found that Jesus was realer than anything I'd ever encountered. He was the touchstone of reality. It left me with a great hunger for more once I got over the shock of it. So that my whole life is leaning toward him, questing for him, striving to break down the walls inside me that shelter me from his face only the spirit can do what i just described to you the spirit did more in one minute with frederica than all of us put together for an entire lifetime could do we can't change ourselves we can't save ourselves we can't save anybody else but the Spirit can. It is His work and His work alone. He is the revealer. He is the truth teacher. He is the transformer. Tell me what committee is in charge of what happened to Frederica in Dublin, Ireland. What committee did that? Tell me what program can produce that kind of spirit revelation. Do we need organization? Of course we do. But we need so much more than organization. Do we need excellence, trying to be excellent in all we do and not slipshod? Of course, but we need so much more than our efforts at excellence. There are simply no substitutes for the Spirit moving. I don't know how else to say it. There is simply no substitute for the Holy Spirit operating in our midst and operating in our souls. And this is what we're going to explore together for the next two and a half months. I'm here to tell you what the Spirit told Frederica. To every believer here, whether you're in touch with it or not, whether you're in touch with him or not, no matter what you're going through today, uh, he, the Spirit is saying, I am your life, whether you know it or not. He is saying to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church, I am your life. I am the fuel you run on. Without me, you can do nothing. What he is saying to this area is the same. We may think it's this and we may think it's that. 
But there is only one person in this universe that gives us life. Life more abundant. Eternal life. Life that changes us. Life that takes us to a whole new level. Before I close from being up here, what I'd like you to do is bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the silence, I want you to get reacquainted with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I want you to invite him to do what he will in your heart and life. I want you to invite him to do what he will in HBIC. And I want you to invite him to do what he wants in this area through you, whether it's at work or with your neighbors. I want you to open your heart wide to the Spirit and see what he says to you or he teaches you or what he nudges you towards right now. Listen to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, remove our prejudices about you. Help us not to be afraid of you. Help us not to be afraid of mis making a mistake in listening to you. Remove all fear, Lord. Lord Jesus, we need you. You are our life. It's time we drink deeply. It's time, Lord, we open up widely and receive what the Spirit has to say to the church and to us. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, as a church to go where you want us to go. Fill us with your Spirit, individually and corporately. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to drink you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Randy and going to come up and lead us. The altar will be open. I'd like the intercessors to come forward.